0: Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business.
1: Thank you, Tim. Like Tim said, I'm Carrie McCoy and it's time for me to get up in your business. Today's show is going to be different. We're going to play a rerun of an August show. And before we do that, I want to introduce you to the people at the table. We have my co-host and co-worker at Flag and Banner, Tim. Say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. And running the board and taking your calls is our technician, Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. No problem. We were supposed to have another guest. He had a family commitment because it's Christmas and that's that stuff happens so it gave us a great opportunity to go back and play one of my favorites i had so many favorites it was really hard to pick out which one we were going to play but i decided to play kate askew from the yellow dog press it's an offset printing um company and she is what i like to call and if what what was that word she used ethereal collector
0: I like it, yeah. It's a, it, not ephemeral. Is it ethereal? Ethereal?
1: No, ethereal is when, it, a, is when ephemeral. you...
0: Ephemeral. Ephemeral.
1: You know, I had a problem with that when I interviewed her in August. <laughs> ephemeral. Thank you, Jessie. She tells some great stories. She reads from a book that she collected in the 1800s. Before we do that, I'm going to tell our longtime listeners and our new listeners who we are. You know, if you're just tuning in for the first time. Or if you have listened for a long time, this show happened back in September of 2016. I was leaving church, and I pulled in on a Sunday to Moxie Mercantile in downtown Little Rock on Main Street. I don't know why they were open on Sunday, but they were. And I just pulled in there because they've got funny cards that have a lot of cussing on them. And I went in there and started looking through some of their cards and the owner found out who I was and that I owned Arkansas Flag and Banner and she started asking me business questions. And so we talked for 30 minutes. She wanted to know all about marketing on the internet and how I advertised. And when I left there, I got back in the car and I thought, oh, I forgot to tell her this and I forgot to tell her that. Well, I had her card. I thought I'll call her and tell her. And then it dawned on me that that week I had had three people, either one called me, One emailed me, and then I ran into her, and we talked face-to-face. Three different people who asked me business advice on a lot of, you know, vertical subjects about business. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm 62 years old. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Start paying my knowledge forward. I've been in business 40 years. I did a startup with $400. I've been through business back when it was mail order. Back when I started as door-to-door, and then I went to mail order, and then I did catalog sales, and then I did internet sales, and now we're drifting which is live chatting that's the new way to sell live chatting online that's true so i thought maybe that's what i'm supposed to do and i am a really weird spiritual person anybody that knows me knows i'm kind of superstitious and i got this kind of when i started thinking about it i got this kind of body rush like i just smoked a big doobie and it kind of started at my feet and it kind of just went all the way up this body rush that went all the way up to the top of my head and whenever i get something like that that gives me goosebumps i think oh it's spiritual. That's right. That's what I'm supposed to do. And I knew that I was supposed to do it. So this is Sunday. Monday, I get to work. I'm still wound up about it. I start telling everybody about it. I call KUAR, which is um, who does NPR in that's Little Rock.
0: Right. That's right. The Little Rock uh, NPR School is. Dying, UALR. Right? Yeah, 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 That's right.
1: University of Arkansas, Little Rock. So I called them up and I was telling the the, the director there, the program director there. And he said, well, that's a really good idea. But this is really not a place for somebody to start. You have no business, no experience. You have nothing. You don't know anything about communications and radio. You don't start here, unless you go to school here. I guess at UALR, maybe you do. Maybe. Yeah. Um, he said you need to call KABF, the Voice of the People. It's a public service radio station. Call John Kane over there and pitch it to him. So I did. I called John Kane, who's been an often-on acquaintance of mine for years. And I told him, and he said, Well, that is really a good idea. He said, But we are a completely volunteer radio station, and you have got to bring your own technician because we have nobody here to run the board. You've got to do everything for yourself. Let me know if you can figure that out. So I hung up the phone, and I went, and Tim, yes, Tim said, Well, C- Carrie, I do a radio show every Wednesday night on KABF. It's underground.
0: What do you play on Wednesday night? We don't have a genre-specific lineup. We play all the genres. We, we just, it's just music that we love. It's a very, very wide. We like to say, think of it like a, a mixtape that you can hear every Wednesday that's going to be completely different song to song. That's right. It's called Phonomania. <laughs> that's
1: What's right. that mean?
0: Phonomania is like the love of sound.
1: Oh, phone. okay, I like it. Yeah, play on words. So Tim goes, well, I can run the board at KAB if I'm already there every Wednesday night. I was like, okay, more spiritual synchronicity. Uh, So then I tell my girlfriend, Madison Monroe, who I've known forever and who also works at Arkansas Flag and Banner, and she just out of the blue says, it needs to be called Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. And it was so good and so funny that I thought, okay. This is meant to be. So I call back John, and I tell him I've got it all lined up. We've named the show. And the premise of the show is going to be about helping small business people grow their businesses, giving advice to small business people because, you know, it's the school of hard knocks for most of us. And so I kind of nagged him, and he finally came up with a day. We started in September, and he gave us Fridays at 2 o'clock, and the rest is history. And Tim, do you remember, you remember who our first guest was? R.J. Martino from iProv. That's right. He owns an internet marketing company, and he came on, and my hands were shaking the first time. I, and it's, it's really been 67 interviews ago. I think this is our 60. Well, let me look. No, 66. This is our 66th interview today. So that's a year and a half. Yep. And we started off with this premise of helping businesses, and then we quickly realized that we were repeating ourselves because business rules are the same over and over and over and over, and so it kind of started morphing into a biography about interesting people and how they became successful. And some of the lessons we've learned that we were repeating for business people are successful people work hard. There is really no secret sauce. Every person we've interviewed has been like, Work hard, work hard, work hard, and work hard. And you can't do it all. You've got to learn to delegate and to train. And this was something I did not realize, but all successful people are good teachers. They can train. They can lift people up. They can pay it forward. They can raise you up. I didn't realize that till we started this show, that all successful people have the ability to teach others and communicate well. And, of course, everybody said the same thing. Treat your employees fairly And the one I always preach about is don't undersell yourself. Know what your profit margin is. Because so many people, you know, make it for a dollar, sell it for two dollars. They don't realize that they spent a whole nother dollar trying to get it to the people. And they actually are making no money. So you got to really know your profit margin. And my favorite one that all small business owners make is when sales fall off. See if y'all can guess this. What's the first thing people save money by doing?
0: quit advertising right the worst thing you could do
1: I did it, everybody does it, and then your sales fall off more. So you have to advertise, especially when they sell. So in the beginning we talked about succession plans for small business owners, which is really only have three. Sell the business, liquidate the business, pass the business on. We've had a patent lawyer on, loan officer on, teach you how to borrow money. We've had Small Business Development Technology Center on to talk about how they can train people. We've had food truck business owners. Oh, look, I've talked too long. We're gonna All have right. to jump into the show with Kate Askew from the Yellow Dog Press. This is her intro my guest today is kate anderson askew sole owner and operator of the yellow dog press in little rock arkansas kate has always been a ferocious reader evidenced by the library in her home and her avid love of books and the printed word for many years she's worked for estate sellers as their book paper and ephemera i'm gonna see if i get this ephemera Thank you. I have been practicing. Ephemeral. Uh-huh. And this ephemeral specialist, which is a new word that I just learned while doing your research. In 2002, she started her own business of buying and selling rare printed materials via the internet. When Kate spotted in the classified section of the newspaper an antique printing press complete with handset types available for sale, she purchased it and took her love of the printed word to another level. In 2008, Kate officially opened the Yellow Dog Printing press. This is not your atypical printing company. Her method of printing doesn't include an inkjet, laser, or even an offset printing machine. Instead, she handsets each individual letter, number, or character onto her 1903 Chandler and Price Platin Press, or her Vandercook 4 press inks up the platen, and literally cranks out original, one-of-a-kind, limited-edition prints on posters, cards, or other paper goods. In addition, Kate is a licensed art appraiser, book appraiser, and you said you let your auctioneer license lapse. I did. You can't do everything. I know, right? So, okay, I'm taking that one out. And she does that under her business, which is her LLC. Kate asks you auctions and appraisals. I guess you've dropped the auction. I've
2: changed that. What is it now? It's just Kate Anderson Askew, LLC, and that encompasses Arkansas Bookseller, Yellow, uh, Yellow Dog Press, and uh, appraisals, my appraisal business. Oh, you put it all under an umbrella. Yes. That's what
1: it's like when you're married to a lawyer. That's he right. can do stuff like yeah, that for exactly. you. I think you can do that online now. You, he's going to work. Yeah, his, it's not that hard. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. It's a pleasure to welcome to the table the most interesting, and you'll like this, endearingly eccentric Kate. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank he. you. You're welcome. So this is not your usual MO.
2: No, it's not.
1: You like to be behind a book or a printing press. Well,
2: or one-on-one. It makes me <clears throat> really nervous.
1: So I've known you for a long time, and I think we need to disclose, which we already disclosed on our Facebook Live episode before the show. We're that cousins. By marriage.
2: By marriage, but we claim each other outright. That's right. Um, I've never met anybody like you. I've never met anybody like you. You've been <laughs> a huge influence on my life. You were the first person who looked at me and said, Girl, you are afraid to make a dollar and you need to stop that. That's so true about you. I know. I know. But you told me that like, I don't know, 25 years ago, you were like, girl, this is how you're going to make some money. And, and i you help still don't you. care. It's not that I don't care. I, it's just sometimes it gets in the way of doing my work. You are motivated by passion. I'm motivated by passion. I'm also motivated by covering the rent on my shop. So, you know, that does come in to the into play so and
1: and neither one of those that's so funny you should say that because i was thinking about that when i was making up your questions today Mm -hmm. which it looks like we're not going to get we're not going to follow at all my questions which is great maybe
2: we'll get to
1: them i don't know but uh i was thinking about that this morning i thought you are you you follow your passion you work towards what is is self-interesting and motivating to you and i on the other hand uh was motivated in my young life to have to work for money because I had to make rent and I had to, and I had to uh, you know, I didn't really have a payroll, but I had to make rent and pay for myself. So e- not that either one of them are wrong, but they're great motivators to help you find your dream and seek what you want to do. And I love that both of our paths have led us into uh, places that are fulfilling and...
2: And things that we love. And things we love. Well, and I fell into book buying and selling as a need to not have to be in a cubicle. Um, cause you know, I knew I, I wanted to, I had stayed home for a while with my kids and I wanted to get back into the working world. I didn't want to be in a cubicle and, um, I started buying and selling things on eBay. And I realized that that was a really great way to, you know, be in your pajamas and make some money. Mm-hmm. And so I started out with, this was 1998. I think. You were the first successful e, uh, no. ebay seller no. that i ever knew oh, you knew okay uh-huh. yeah but not i mean I, I was late to the game in 98 but anyway i started buying and selling things and what i realized i was good at buying and selling were books so i grew up in a bookish household a very bookish household my dad's a book collector he's never been a dealer but he's a lifelong book collector so i had a great love of books great love of reading um was an english major at vanderbilt i was um, gonna ask you yeah studied um all kinds of literature and spent a lot of time in the rare book uh, stacks at Vanderbilt. And so uh, when I realized I was good at buying and selling books, I thought, well, that makes sense. That's what I know. So I decided to stick with what I knew and it exclusively began buying and selling books.
1: Um, I wondered if your degree in college played into your career, and it
2: actually did. Yeah, it did. Because not it everybody did. can say that. I kind of segued a little bit um yeah because when I first got out of college I remember I, ha- I had a degree in English literature and I minored in philosophy and psychology I think I can't really remember I had some kind of minor I think it was those two um and Jess who's my husband now we've been married 30 years he was finishing Congratulations. up thank you he was finishing up law school in San Francisco and we had just kind of started going out and he said look you know we might have something here But I don't do long distance, so why don't you grab a couple of girlfriends from college, move out to San Francisco, and let's see if we can make a go of this. And I thought, well, okay. So I got three of my friends to move to San Francisco with me. And How um, fun is that? Yeah, it was really fun, but I didn't have a job. And so my parents weren't too keen on me going out to San Francisco because they said, we don't know anybody there. And I said, well, now you will. And they said, well, you know, you're going to have to get a job before you go because it's not like we're going to fund this adventure. So when I had been visiting Jess, I had met one person, and I called that person because he said he was starting a business. I couldn't really remember what it was. And I called him up and said, I'm looking for a job. Do you have one for me? And he said, sure. I'm starting a securities business, and I'll put you on the OTC trading desk as my assistant. What's
1: OTC stand for?
2: Well, I didn't know either. <laughs> um, but it's over-the-counter stocks. Oh, And so I hadn't, I didn't have a finance degree. I didn't have any kind of business background whatsoever. So I said yes, told him when I'd be in San Francisco, and I went to the bookstore and bought a book called Understanding OTC Trading. And I read it on the way out to San Francisco. And uh, I got there, and he said uh, I had to pass my Series 7, which is a uh, standardized test for securities traders. So I got out the book, and I studied it, and I passed that test. But the moral of the story is people always said, what are you going to do with that? English degree, ha, 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 what are you going to do, you know? Study for your Series 7 test. What I tell people is with, you know, a liberal arts degree, if you can read, write, follow instructions, you can do anything. What a great point. So what trading securities taught me was, first of all, I can do anything because I learned by the seat, flew by the seat of my pants. Um, And also it taught me how to buy low and sell high, you know, and you don't, you can leave some money on the table, it doesn't matter. If you sold it for more than you bought it, you're good. Don't sweat it. Just keep going. Buy something else and sell it. Are you still doing that? Uh, tra- Are you a day su- tra- trader? No, no, no. I'm not. No, no. I'm a, I do it sort of with books, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm really good at going in. Just like traders sometimes do just get a feel, you know, I think that's a good buy. I can go in and look at a library and kind of look at it and go, mm, yeah, I can make money off that. So that's kind of how I've done it. You never know what stepping stone is going to lead you to your destiny. That's right. And uh, early in my book um, buying career, I came across a huge collection of medical books that I went to a sale, and it was way out on Geyer Springs and Chico. And I thought, there aren't going to be any books there, but I don't know. It's a sale. There aren't any other sales today I'm going to go, because that's where I was getting my books were at estate sales in the beginning. So I went out to this estate sale not knowing anything and and opened these warehouse doors and there were 12,000 books in there. They're all medical books. So I bought 300 books. I put them in my Mini Cooper. I drove home, unloaded them. I went back the next day. I bought 300 books, went home, unloaded them. And that night I just couldn't sleep. And I turned to Jess and I said, I, I, I got to have those books. I got to have all of them. So I bought all of them. I bought 12,000 books. And I 12,000 books. Yes. And it took 10 years to sell them all. And so after I bought all these medical books, it turned out the guy who'd owned them had been a neurosurgeon. So I had to throw myself into medicine. And one of the biggest compliments I got was somebody emailed me. And said, um, you know, I want to buy this book. It was like a $600 book. It was a really nice book. And he said, but I also want to know where you got your background in neurosurgery. Mm. And I just wrote back and said, look, you know, I got a background in whatever will make me a dollar (laughs) today. And today it's neurosurgery. So um, that's how the securities background, I think, buying and selling played into book buying. And, so and like.
1: your literature and your uh, degree in English taught you how to read everything and right. comprehend.
2: And also just being comfortable with books and comfortable with other languages. You know, all you have to do is know a little bit of a language to figure out what you got. Get the vocabulary. That's right. And, you know, if the book's in Latin, I know a little bit of Latin, I can figure it out. I can get on now. I can get on uh, Google Translate and figure out anything. So, oh, really? Yeah. And um, so, if it's can, in yeah. French or Latin or italian i can figure it out
1: you're listening to up in your business with me carrie mccoy my guest today is kate askew owner operator of the very cool yellow dog press company in little rock arkansas which we're going to talk about in the next break she's the founder of the kate Askew. you changed your name i've got to change it kate Askew appraisers
2: well yeah i just yeah there's no it's just appraisal and consulting I do estate consulting and appraisals. Okay,
1: which uh, where she uses her expertise and experience as she gives value to the written word, books, and art, and really, you said any personal property besides personal the house. Any personal property, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: besides the house.
1: She is also, you are also a very successful online reseller of said items that I just mentioned, which I didn't realize came from, you, you, you got your savvy in that from being in... Um, Securities trading.
2: Security Well, trading. and also, first of all, I'm extremely ADD and so you are yeah so i I have have yeah my husband calls it the bird squirrel problem it's like there's a bird oh there's a squirrel it's like (laughs) stick with one thing but anyway so so having lots of different things to do printing book selling uh appraising and also i like to be with people um so i worked in the estate sale business for a long time with roy dudley who's still a really good friend of mine and i was his book and paper specialist and consulted with some other estate sale dealers, too. But Roy's business is so incredibly fascinating that I totally fell into it. And um, and when you're doing that, that's all you want to do. And so I wanted to be able to do my books and printing. So now I consult with him every once in a while, but I don't work with him
1: full so time. You, so, let, so in the first break, or in the first... Part of the show, we talked about how you went out to, to San Francisco and got your Series 7 license and was a day trader. No, not day trader, just over-the-counter. Over-the-counter trader. And
2: listed stocks trader. And then I moved to Little Rock. Got married. Uh, got married. And
1: worked for Stevens? Worked at Stevens for a while. And then... This was ancient history. This was so long and then road. But then you, just so that people will follow the train right. here. Then you then you quit that job and raised children for your yes, girls I did. for a couple of years. Yes,
2: I did. I had two small children. And my uh, husband, Jess, was um, beginning his law career, and we just couldn't do it all. So mm-hmm. some something had to give, and it, it was um, my job. Mm-hmm. And I was went home to stay with the children, and I loved it. And then you
1: decided to go back and help uh, Roy Dudley first, or you got interested in
2: eBay trading books
1: online first?
2: First, I got interested in trading books on eBay first. And I was buying a lot of books from Roy, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I buy and sell books. And he said, well... I need a book specialist. And so that's when I started working with him and did books, paper, and ephemeral items. And ephemeral items are anything that should have been thrown away. Like if you have your Harvard-Yale football ticket stub from 1921, that would have been something that should have been thrown away, and it's not. So that would be a piece of ephemera. Posters. Um, Posters that would have been... Um, let's say it's a it's a poster that would have been uh, pasted to a barn wall advertising like barnstormers or something like that. That's ephemeral. Do you
1: find do you do the research online? How do you figure out what the value is of stuff?
2: Um, I do online research and I've got a, a good bit of base knowledge. But I can also um, I mean, I used to not have the Internet, obviously. So you just have to fly by the seat of your pants. But with the Internet now, you can really pretty much pinpoint what you have. Um, and that's really fun It's just really fun I, I get into the thrill of the hunt And um, and the history of things I love Arkansas history I have a lot of really cool Historical Arkansas things And I, I know this is radio But um, I brought um, uh, William Woodruff Was the uh, printer to the territory in Arkansas He was the first printer in Arkansas And he started the Arkansas Gazette In 1819 And um, it's still the oldest paper west of the Mississippi. You know, the Democrat absorbed it, so it's still the same paper, you know, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And so I love anything that William Woodruff printed, but his things are pretty rare. I mean, Arkansas was a territory when he was printing, but I do have two um, books I brought. um, In plastic. Well, I I have them in the little sleeve just because they're um, fragile. They're fragile. Um, But one is the 1825 Acts um, of the Territory. And one is the 1834, and um, and it says Little Rock, printed by William E. Woodruff, printer to the territory. And I think that's really cool. How much really do you cool. think those books were worth? You know, I really don't know. Um, these were actually gifts of a friend who knows I love William Woodruff, so I'm not sure of the value. I've never looked it up because you're not selling them. Because um, you know, I'm not selling them. Um, we were looking
1: uh, before before we went um, before we went on the radio. We were doing Facebook Live, and you showed. On Facebook, that little
2: tiny My tiny book. book. Yes, the, the young people and the old at my house like to, to see my tiniest book, which is probably about um, one inch by one inch. One inch by one inch. And it's actually a modern book. It was printed in 1989, but it was letterpress printed, handset. So to, to get to where the printing is, after um, buying and selling books for about, um, I don't even know, um, several years. Um, I began to be obsessed with how books are made The how the printing is done what the what kind of paper it is how how the binding was made and um, So I decided I wanted to learn I was going to teach myself how to set handset type, which is ridiculous That's like saying I want to teach myself how to fly an airplane. You you can't do it by yourself But I didn't know that so um, as you said in your intro Mm -hmm. um, I was searching the classifieds and i found a platen press a huge platen press which is one of those flywheel presses and type that i bought from a man in hot springs and i bought it for two hundred dollars oh wow and um the movers broke it they were delivering it to me and it fell on its flywheel it crushed the flywheel it broke the drive shaft and i had a broken printing press in my garage and so I called around to find out who could fix this press and everybody said to me you need to talk to John Horn and I knew John I had met him at the art center but I I actually didn't know he's a printer so I called him up and I said I broke a printing press and he said did you buy that one in Hot Springs and I said yes and he said I was going to go get that Uh, I, I couldn't imagine who else bought it but let me come look at it so we came to look at it turns out it was an extremely rare press There's only one other one known in existence, and it can't be fixed. Oh! But through the broken printing press, I met John Horn, and he said, Do you want to learn how to set type? And I said, Yes, I do. And he said, Well, come on out, and I'll teach you. Oh, wow. And so he did. And so that's how I learned how to hand set type was from someone who was willing to take the time to teach me. And if your movers hadn't broken it? You might not have. Made I might it. not. You probably would have. I don't well. know. I don't know. That that press still sits out at John's. That's not the one that's in your shop. Mm-mm, we couldn't fix the one that I broke. He could never fix. Well, that it, one. it's these are huge pieces of cast iron, and it would have to be. It's a huge drive shaft that would have to be. Yeah, I think cast. that that guy should have paid you for moving it. Well, you know, it was Christmas. What are you going to do? You know, you gotta <laughs> people you make People make mistakes. Yeah, I, it was done. It was spilled milk. Um, so that's how I came to printing. And then um, there were other people who were um, learning to print out at John's, and and I got together with Lamory Ritalonis, another printer, and um, we pooled our resources and opened a little shop. So
1: and, and this other printer was a apprentice of John's also, right? yes,
2: another uh, John Horn apprentice, yes.
1: And so together, you made a co-op.
2: We made a co-op, and we have a third person in our co-op too. And um, the three of us pooled all of our equipment. Um, it's really hard to find this stuff. It's hard to find the wood type. It's hard to find the metal type. And I scoured the U.S. all over, up and down I-40 for 10 years, buying wood type and metal type. And I have a really nice collection now. It's hard to find type. It's really hard to find it. Especially now, it's really changed. In the past, 15 years ago, if I found it, I could afford it. And um, in the past Like six to eight years There's been a huge resurgence In the interest in letterpress printing And a lot of people say it's a balanced thing I mean, The woman who started Twitter Knows how to handset type It's sort of the more technological we are The more people want to go back to the basics What'd you say the woman who started Twitter handsets type Is that how she does forty? Why she does 42 characters No I have no idea All I know is that she handsets type, or I read that, you know, you can't believe everything you read on the internet or Twitter, but, <coughs> um, no, I just think that the more technological we get, the more people want to get back to the basics. So in the past six to eight years, all the universities are offering book arts programs and they're buying up all this equipment. So stuff that people used to say, get it out of here is now really expensive. So it's good that I got things when I got them because the price, I couldn't, I couldn't get it now. Um, I couldn't afford it.
1: Yeah, those printing presses that are in your place
2: right. are so heavy. They have to be on a slab. On a pallet. you got to have special equipment to move it. Obviously, I learned the hard way. Um, and it's just really specialized moving. But I'll tell you, what: the way a lot of people print, because there are a lot of people who are able to have a, a Chandler and Price um, platen press like I have in the garage, is if you are a wily young person with your computer skills then you can design whatever you want on an InDesign program, send off and have a plastic plate made, and you can put that on your press and print with that so you don't have to have wood type and metal type. So most of the letterpress printing you see is done off a, pla- a polymer plate. What's polymer mean? It's plastic. It's oh. a plastic plate that, you, that people send off for. But that's not what Jersey. But that's not what I do. Um, I do a little bit of polymer. I will say um, my teacher calls it heresy, but I do a little bit of polymer plate um, things because people want things that i can't do and in that case i'll do polymer plates um but 99.9 percent of what i do is hand set letter by letter justified by hand on my chandler and price or my Vandercase.
1: so i brought my grant so you were at your place the other day and i drove by and i saw your car there because you're not always there and i had my grandkids with me and i um uh,
2: they were so adorable, and they were so interested in what I was doing. My grandson
1: was so interested in what you were doing.
2: Well, it's visually exciting, and it's big equipment that moves fast, and it makes something.
1: And uh, so tell our listeners how you, you do it exactly.
2: You go to your drawers. Well, I have cabinets full of type. And you have to be careful when you open the drawers because they're so they're, heavy. That's right. And and they're called cases, um, and they um, Actually, that's where uppercase and lowercase comes from, because the, the bigger letters were above the smaller letters, so that's where uppercase and lowercase comes from, because those drawers you pull out are really called cases.
1: And, um, and that lowercase is the heavier case, and the uppercase is the smaller?
2: No, uppercase are the bigger letters, but it's just, you know, it's just uppercase and lowercase is, uh, at some point, how it was situated in okay. the cabinet. Okay. And, um, and, um, you have to decide what font you're going to use and then you have to have that font. So any newspaper, anybody who printed anything, you were only as good as how many fonts of type you had. That's how um, you would decide what you're going to print is by what you have. If you were lucky enough to have lots of different type, then you had a lot of choices, but you're limited by what you actually physically have, which you're not if you're if you're on a computer program and oh yeah. in a computer. You can have whatever you want. But we're lucky in our shop because we have a really nice... Um, collection of wood type and metal type that we use. Is there an advantage for wood or metal? Well, it had to go to metal because it was so heavy. Once, um, once the lead got a certain um, you know height, um, the bigger the font, it's just too heavy to cast. So it had lead. to go to wood. You had to go to wood.
1: Okay, so then you take those and you you took my grandson's name and you spelled out his name, right? And then you inked. Then you have to put
2: ink on the press. And, which is the platen. Uh-huh. And well, in this case he was using uh the Vandercook. So it was it's a little different. You just put the ink on the rollers mm-hmm. and you put the um the, the letters on the bed of the press. Of the press, thank you. And mm-hmm. then you put the paper in and you roll the paper over it and everything has to be type high. 0.918 is type high. So What does that mean? Uh it just 0.918 of an inch. Um Everything on the bed has to be the same height, so it hits the paper at the same time. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And, and that height is .918. Yes. And but- so if you're a polymer plate printer, you have a special bed on your press that with that bed and the piece of plastic, it's .918, so it's type high.
1: This is a lot to learn. No wonder you had to have
2: John come teach you how to yeah, do it all. exactly.
1: It looked really easy when you did it, but that's because you did it all for us, and then you inked
2: up the... Well, most things the- look easy till you realize how you have to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the truth.
1: And what I loved about it is every one that we printed was just slightly different. It was kind of like screen printing. I kept right. thinking about Andy Warhol while we were doing it because I thought every one of these is just slightly
2: different. Well, there is kind of a letterpress look because most of the wood type and metal type people find has been be- beat up because it was used. It wasn't anything. It was, wasn't was a pe- work of art then. It was, it was work. It was utilitarian. You couldn't print a, a poster or a billboard or a newspaper unless you had that type unless you had that font of type you're listening
1: to up in your business with me carrie mccoy my guest today is kate askew owner operator of the very cool yellow dog press company in little rock arkansas and she's a successful online reseller of books and what's that word ephemera ephemera a new word for you there before the break we talked about roy dudley estate sales and how you loved working for him which was really cool really fun Mm-hmm. But you're not doing that anymore. I do. Uh, every bit. once in a
2: while, I still consult with Roy. But, um, but I used to work with him full time, and I don't do that anymore just because I wasn't able to get my own printing and bookwork done because his work is so fascinating.
1: It really is. And then you, to, to work at, uh, as an appraiser, do you need to be
2: licensed? Yes. Um, I, I am licensed with the Certified Appraisers Guild of America. Um actually Roy and um a friend of ours, Melissa Goulden and I all three went together and got our certification several years ago. It was really, really fun. So Roy's appraiser too. Yes, and so For books or for different things? For if it's just like me, personal property. Ooh. Uh Roy has um three uh, certified appraisers on staff. Um and um we we had the best time going to get our certification. And that's when I decided to Get my auctioneer's license, too. And, you know, you can only do so much. And I like to go and try things and go down a rabbit hole. I was not a good auctioneer. I was terrible at it. I would be terrified to do that. I thought, I'm a fast talker. I'm going to be able to do that. It didn't work. But that's okay. Because if you don't try things, then you don't know if you're going to like it. Hear that, listeners? you got to try things and you got to fail. Can't have that fear of failure hold you back. But, um, you know, a lot of what brought me... To uh, to printing was just the love of the printed word, um, and also I I write poetry, and it's a way for me to showcase my own poetry. My husband calls it loud poetry because I do it on big posters, and and you lose some pretty and and yeah loud I, words yeah I use big <laughs> words uh, sometimes four letter words. I was trying to um, know how to say that curse words, but, uh, <laughs> but not always. I mean, no, this one doesn't have a bad word in it. Um, this is one of the first posters i ever made of my own poetry and it says if it is a soul crushing blood rushing heart popping jaw dropping head aching breathtaking plan tossing ocean crossing life betting no regretting kind of thing it just might be love oh that's awesome and sometimes you just got to take a chance and uh, go to a city that you've never been to and take a job in a field you don't know anything about and you just don't know where it's going to lead you
1: that is just beautiful for everybody that wasn't listening at the beginning that's how she did met her husband
2: um, but the other thing is is I love the history of Arkansas and so that takes me back to William Woodruff who was the first printer in Arkansas printer to the territory in 1819 and um, and if you'll let me I was going to read a little bit from a letter that was written about his print shop
1: absolutely um,
2: this is a letter um, that actually my teacher found and um, and and set to type but it's one of my favorite what do you mean your teacher about, uh john horn oh okay. uh, printing teacher john horn mm-hmm. and it's a letter um from Hiram whittington in april of 1827 to his brother and he had just gotten to arkansas because uh william woodruff hired him to be a printer and he was coming from boston so this was 1819 this kid was coming from boston to little rock on a horse Uh, Well, he came by by steamboat and canoe and foot. He talks about how hard it was to get here. Um, And so he writes, um, in the afternoon of Sunday on the 6th day of December, we arrived in Little Rock. Uh, Little Rock is situated on the south bank of the Arkansas, contains about 60 buildings, six brick, eight frame, the balance log cabins. The best building in the place is the printers. It is built of brick and is as good as any office in Boston. Little Rock Academy is a log hut, and the State House is a little low wooden building about 10 feet by 16. The town has been settled about eight years and has improved very slow. The trees are not cut down in the town yet. Instead, in the streets of streets, we walk in cow trails from one house to another. The town, and I believe the whole territory, is inhabited by the dregs of Kentucky, Georgia, and Louisiana, but principally from the former, and a more drunken, good-for-nothing set of fellows never got together. The Secretary of the Territory and the judges of the Supreme Court drink whiskey out of the same cup with the lowest born and roll together in the same gutter. There have been more than a dozen murders committed here, but their murderer was always acquitted. The greatest drunkards fill the most responsible offices. And then he goes on to say... Oh, my gosh, that's priceless. (laughs) It's hysterical. And then he goes on to say, Of the female part of the community, I have not much to say, as there are five grown girls in the township, and they are all as ugly as sin and mean (laughs) as the devil. It is a famous place for parties. I have been to three since I have been here, where they have a violin and dance all night. And as there are not girls to form a set, all the old women dance and lie in bed the next day. The men get drunk and generally have a fight before they get home. Last Sunday, I saw two French ladies walking out, each with a young coon in her arms. They are used instead of lap dogs. And then one more thing he said, and then I'll quit Uh, reading. No, don't stop. Keep going. One more thing he said to his brother. He was talking about the food they were eating, and he said... The Indians sometimes bring deer and buffalo meat to town and try to sell it, but the folks are such intolerance that they seldom purchase any, they think there is nothing like a dead hog.
1: Oh, now we, so, now we root for the dead hog. Yeah, Reg-o, exactly. Well, <laughs> and everybody
2: here still loves a dead hog. Yes, we do. So I think that's really fun to um, see Little Rock through the eyes of an outsider in 18, 1823. So, that ought to make everybody want to start
1: collecting old books.
2: Well, or in old documents and go back and look at old documents and um, you just never know what's going to turn up in your hands.
1: I don't even know what to say after that. That was priceless. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. It's really fun. So I don't even know where to go from that. I guess we'll go back to this is going to be boring after that. I guess we'll go. Oh, tell us what that other book is that you have there. You said is written by.
2: Oh, Jeffrey Chaucer. It's a it's it, it was written by Chaucer. Uh, It was printed in 1561, and it's actually a fragment. It's not the whole book. Um, And tell who Chaucer is. Geoffrey Chaucer wrote the Canterbury Tales, and um, he is one of our most famous writers of all time. And he wrote stories and really good ones. And I found this fragment. Why do you call that a fragment? It looks like a full book. It's not a full book. It's part of a book. It's it's bound? It is bound. and, And about 300 years ago, somebody bound it um but they took out it was a book that had the canterbury tales in it and um this thing called the uh, story called the romance of the rose so how old is the book it's 1561 it was printed in 1561 But it was bound 300
1: years ago which is it what was makes rebound it rebound 300. um
2: it was printed in 1561 and about 300 years ago i guess somebody wanted the canterbury tales out of it not the rest of it so this is the rest of it but i can tell from the vellum binding vellum being sheepskin and the age of it about when it was bound and so I'll buy a fragment. I don't care. It's not the whole book. It's so cool. It's, it's, beautiful. it's beautiful. Look at that beautiful. font. What is that? It's Did black letter. So when printing started, it's, a, it's an arbitrary date of 1450 that they say that Gutenberg um, invented movable type. Um, yes, we need to
1: talk about that in a minute. Right.
2: Well, um, the first fonts of type
1: mm-hmm. were
2: designed after letters that the monks scribed. So everything before... Uh, movable type was was copied, you know, and, that, and movable type, oddly enough, was
1: 14 A.D. Right? No, no, 1450 A.D. No, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: uh huh. Who would have thought movable type was that old? No, no, was, no,
2: 1450. Uh, you know, just 500 years ago.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, that still seems like a long time ago. I would have thought it was in the 1800s. That no,
2: 1450 is before the 1800s. I know, but I would have thought that movable type started in the 1800s. No, 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 no. 1450. Although the Chinese had versions of movable type long before that, just not cast in metal the way Gutenberg did it. Gutenberg figured out how to cast it in metal and how to have multiple letters that you could move. He printed a Bible. It's one of the most famous printed items, and you can go to Germany and see it in the museum, Gutenberg Museum.
1: Um, I was just surprised to hear that it was...
2: 1450? Yeah, that seems like a really long time ago. I didn't realize that. It was a long time ago. I know. Um, And um, so before... Movable type, okay. everything was handwritten, and monks wrote it, and, um, and not many people were literate, and it was hard to get these things, so you had to be a person of means to even have a book, and to be literate, so when movable type came along, all of a sudden, things could be reproduced cheaply, and easily, and people were able to learn to read, and information was able to get to people, so that's, you know, that, it was a huge revolution, it's like uh, the internet, exactly what the internet did for, infa- for our age, mm-hmm. right? So information uh, age,
1: another sorry. information age,
2: right? And um, so that's how that all got started. But so this font uh, in this mm-hmm. particular book is copied. It's a black letter font. It's just a, it's a copied from the type of writing the monks would do in the monasteries.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. They replicated what a hand written. Yes,
2: exactly. And then later, people Look how realized... how tiny it is. Yeah, later people realized that that was kind of hard to read. And so other um, fonts were developed, designed. You know. Because this has a lot of serifs on it. That's right, it does. And so one of one of the greatest uh, type designers of our time was Frederick Gowdy. And he he designed over 100 type fonts. Um, and I, I have a book um, here. I'm, I'm sorry, it's radio and you can't see it. But it's a vellum book um, that was printed at the Village Press, which was Frederick Gowdy's personal press. So so since he's my guy... Oh, yeah, that's really much like him, cleaner. Yeah, you can really see. And he designed most of the typefaces that we use today. He, How did he put a picture in there? Well, because this was printed much, much later. Oh, this seen. was printed in 1901. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and so that's actually a halftone. So. Um, but he also has woodcut ornaments here. Um, but... Um, You know, everything that's old is new again and all the internet fonts are copies of all the metal fonts and all the metal fonts are copies of older metal fonts. So everybody rips everybody off. They always have. Um, But when people come to my shop and they want and they show me a font and it's an internet font, I'll say, I don't have that, but I have what I believe it was riffed off of. And that's this font over here. And I'll take them to the type cabinet and show them the font that's closest to that. So that's really fun. So, so take them to the case, the upper case or the to, lower yeah, case. Th- exactly. And so I'm a huge type nerd and trying to figure out where, uh, what fonts are when they come into the shop because they don't always have a tag saying what they were. So you have to research and figure out what it is and where it came from. That's a whole nother rabbit hole of figuring out where your type came from. Do you make any money? Um, I make money off my books. And I make enough money off my printing to cover the overhead.
0: It's really um, a hobby,
2: though, isn't it? Um, no, it's a business. It is. And I'm working really harder to make more money at it. Um, but um, it's just, it's a difficult way to make a lot of money. I mean, if you're, if you're really going to make money, and people do, you've got to have bigger machinery than I have that makes multiples that you can crank out. And so my biggest run is 150 So I don't have, there, there's a press called a Heidelberg windmill. Um, that really is like a little airplane it's so complicated and a lot of people who sell commercially can set that thing and print 5,000 so Mm. I don't have one of those so it's more than a hobby Um, it's less than you know just a huge money maker Um, but it's a lot of joy a -hmm. whole lot of joy and between my printing my um book selling and my appraising it is a business Mm -hmm. so um i sort of have lots of different wily ways i can make money and i enjoy all of them Mm -hmm. and uh it's mostly what they have in common is everything i do takes a lot of research and concentration and i'm able to fall into whatever it is um researching and really get a bang out of it sometimes i have a hard time coming out um and being social but You're listening to
1: Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. My guest today is Kate Askew, owner-operator of the very cool Yellow Dog Press Company in Little Rock, Arkansas. And she also has a successful online reseller under the name... Well, I don't even know what name you sell under. Yellow Dog Press. You do sell under the Yellow Dog Press. So the past hour, we have talked. We're in the last 10 minutes of the show. And for the past hour, we've talked about working as an appraiser and getting your license. We've talked about... um, um, the success of being an online reseller a little bit, is there something that you can tell our listeners? Is there something that you didn't expect when you started, uh, when you opened up your eBay account? <clears throat> Excuse me, an Etsy account. That, was there something that you would advise people to do or not to do? And are you still on eBay and
2: Etsy at the same time? Okay, so those are all good questions. <laughs> um, I think the most important thing is to diversify and adapt. Um, if something's working for you, keep doing it. If it's not working for you, quit doing it. I mean, I for a long time I sold books on um, on American Book Exchange, Alibris, Amazon, um, in addition to eBay and you know any place else I could. I tried antique malls, that didn't work. That's not where people buy books. Um, and eventually, um, I, I quit selling on a Abe and Alibris and American Book Exchange. I did very well on those for a long time, but when I realized. That It was getting harder and harder to make a buck on those. I went back to eBay, um, which I really like because, you know, people complain about it because they take a chunk, but, you know, where else am I going to find a buyer in China for my book, you know? What about Etsy? Um, Etsy, I tried. Etsy have not had a whole lot of success with. Other people have figured that out, and it's just figuring it out. Uh, people, you know, I'm selling posters, not books. Uh, I was on, on Etsy. I don't have anything up right now. Every once in a while, I'll what put something What about Amazon? Up. Amazon,
1: I'm not selling on right now. Amazon has gotten so hard to sell on. Yeah, I mean, it really has. I mean, we've been talking about getting off Amazon. Flag and Banner's been talking about getting off Amazon. There's right now. so much
2: competition. Um, and in in the beginning, i I did very well on all three of those book venues. Um, but what happened was with books is that, you know, twenty years ago, I've got the book, and it doesn't look like anybody else has it. Well, the way the internet has developed, anybody who has that can now put it online. You don't have to be a specialist. You don't have to be a book dealer. You can be Bob in your uncle's library and realize, you know, that's worth something and sell it. So the true availability of things has come to light. It's like a lot of other collectibles glass and, you know, figurines and you, you have, there's a supply. Somebody's got to want it. And on eBay, two people have got to want it, really, if you're going to get a lot for it. Um but you have to find something you like doing enough that it 's not going to drive you nuts if you spend a lot of time doing it and 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 aren't successful just right away i had a I had pretty immediate success on eBay selling books, so that was good, and I was able to really dive into it. But I love researching them and writing the descriptions and all that kind of stuff so
1: uh what's your favorite what's your most interesting thing you ever found or sold you either bought or sold?
2: Um, and all of your- I'll tell I'll tell you an interesting thing I found. Um, I, I love to look at the classifieds in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I just love to. I like to look at them and see what people are selling. I think it's fascinating. And so I scoured them for years for printing equipment. I mean, every morning that was just part of my routine. Is anybody selling printing equipment? And I saw one day where it said selling printing equipment and it had a number. It was an Arkansas number. I didn't know it was where where it was. And I called, and the man said. Uh, I asked him if he had any printing equipment, and he said, well, I've sold it all. He said, I've sold all my offset equipment. And I said, well, actually, I'm looking for letterpress equipment. I'm looking for handset type. He said, well, you know, I think I might have some of that. He said, why don't you come on over? And I said, well, where are you? And he was in Brinkley. So I grabbed a friend who had a truck, and I said, you want to go on an adventure? Mm-hmm. And we drove to Brinkley, and it turned out the man's grandfather had started the Brinkley-Argus newspaper in 1878. And when they quit using their metal type, somebody shoved it in a back room, and there it was, still sitting there. And he sold it to me. And it, it's beautiful, it has a history. So I have on all those cabinets, this type came from the Brinkley Argus, and I use it, and you know, it sat for 50 years untouched in somebody's back room. So sometimes you gotta pick up the phone, and call and ask. And, and that's also one of the great things I learned when I was trading securities. I was so terrified to pick up the phone. Um, and the person I was working for stood over me and said, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, pick up the phone and handle it when the voice comes on the other end. And so I learned to fearlessly cold call is what I you know, used to do. We didn't do too much of that, but I would have to call other people. So now I just pick up the phone sometimes and find out what's out there. I think that's one of the things I teach. Tim, how many times have I
1: said that to you?
0: A few times. A few times.
2: Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Call them. Call them. Yeah, there might have been a few expletives in there. Pick up the phone.
1: (laughs) So at the break, we talked about Ben Franklin, and we were like, well, I know that Ben Franklin was an original pamphleteer, and I know that pamphleteers have been thought of much like blogging today. Uh, they
2: had something to say, and they said it. They did. Um, and Ben Franklin was a printer. He started out as a printer's devil. A printer's devil is someone who uh, who, who is a small child, usually, who's uh, running errands in the print shop and putting coal in the fire and sweeping, and eventually they get to set type and learn how to be a printer. He he started out as a printer, and he was many, many things, but uh, we admire him because he he did a whole lot for printing.
1: And Tim said something about he's the only person on a bill that wasn't a on on currency that wasn't a president that's right Mm -hmm. and after i left you kate we looked up what a devil printer's devil is and a devil's another word for apprentice
2: right apprentice so there are a lot a lot of different devils you know you did it's not just a printer's devil there are other professions that had them but um it was a way for a small child to get their start in a trade a long time ago you know uh,
1: there's a it does seem like we have put together rules to protect our young, uh, labor laws to protect our young. And so many times they don't get to go and become apprentices or work in an industry. Which is,
2: which is not a bad thing. You know, they need yeah. to be kids. But I do think, I, do, I, I know where you're going with this, mm-hmm. and that is that working with your hands and learning skills builds confidence. And I don't care if you're 10 or 70, learning a new skill and um, and excelling at it and getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Which is what this radio show has been for me, for sure. <laughs> and for me, too. Yeah. Well, you do a good job. Oh, you're nice. Thanks.
1: Um, so we talked about what motivates you.
2: What motivates me is history. Um, you know, I look at a book and I wonder who held it before me, especially a book that's from fifteen hundred, fifteen. You, 15, 13 like this one right here I wonder who held this book and why did it survive Have you heard that Have you heard people say things that there's a smell inside of a book That gets you high No that's the craziest thing that I've ever heard, heard in my life Look Tim's that shaking is the, his head He's heard that too That is a fallacy That is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life Oh that is ruined it for me That is like the biggest urban myth I hate to debunk but no
1: Alright it's time for us to say goodbye Thank you Thank you so much. Kate. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. It
2: was, and you said fun. it would go by fast. It could, did go by fast. It, I was even very though worried. it's hot in here, isn't it? It's all right. I don't mind it.
1: Thank you. I have a present. Nope nope. You're not leaving yet. I have a present for you. I bet you don't have this in your print shop. <gasps> no, I don't. It's uh, so for our listeners. It's a U.S. flag
2: and, and an ar- Arkansas flag. Little desk set you can put on your shelf. I will over put there. that on. Thank you so much. I'll I'll, I'll cherish this. Thank you so much. You're I welcome. appreciate it.
0: Alright That was good. That was really good. What a good episode. Kate is such an interesting person.
1: I know. I learned stuff through that also. And I'm sorry you can't get high on a book. I'm just
0: going to start reading. (laughs) As as someone who uh, has a passion for publishing, I I still want to believe that urban legend
1: i know she debunked it i guess that's it for us if you want to uh get a copy of this show or listen to it again or share it it's on flag and banner right tim at flag and banner.com that's right you can also listen to it on soundcloud itunes youtube that's right and to our listeners if you've got a great entrepreneurial story that you would like to share i'd love to hear from you and get you on the radio with me and tim Uh, Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org, and someone will be in touch. Thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program's been about you, you're right, but it's also been for me, as you probably heard at the beginning of this hour. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening, and that it, whatever it is, will help you up. Your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy and I'll see you next time on Up in Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up.
0: You've been listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you'd like to hear this program again, next week go to flagandbanner.com. Click on the tabloid of the radio share. And there you'll find podcasts with links to resources you heard discussed on today's show. It carrie's goal to help you.